on FM, on DAB, and up to date on social media. Radio And there's Jimmy James and the Vagabonds with a track that's been a family favourite since its release, I'll Go Where the Music Takes Me. And it's certainly taken him all over the world and live on the line from, uh, well, from sunny London. <laughs> I've got the man himself, Jimmy James. Jimmy, welcome to Radio New York. Thank you, and very good morning to your listeners and to you, AD. Thank you. Yeah, um, I saw your performance at Skegness uh, last month, and, um, well, brilliant. You obviously enjoyed it every bit as much as the crowd did. Oh crikey, that's what it's all about, man. They made it. They made it easy, shall I say, for me. Well, I don't know. I think you feed off each other because uh, it, it was just like um, ah, it was great. It was electric, very good. Thank you very much indeed, sir. Thank you. So, I mean, you've been, you've been, you've had a long, long career, haven't you? It started back in the fifties in Jamaica. I, I have indeed. Yes, I've been very lucky, AD, Put it that way. Yes, mm-hmm. indeed. Uh-huh. Yeah, it all started with me writing a little song called "Come to Me Softly." Yeah. And, um, in fact, when the song was being recorded, because at the time when I wrote the song, I didn't never consider myself a, a vocalist, right? Right. Uh, the producer said, why don't I come to the studios and do a little, what we call a lead voice, so the guy who was supposedly going to do the song could get an idea of how it should go. Okay, yep. Yeah. Like a demo. Yeah, like a demo. And um, <laughs> about, I would say about a month later, I heard this thing being played on the local <coughs> radio. <laughs> and I thought, hmm. I know that song. That song was like me. And what they've done, they can't me. Ah, <laughs> bless. Nothing changes, and, uh, does it? <laughs> you know, that's right. And so the song became a massive... It, to this day, it's like it's become a like signature song now, you know. Shall we have a listen, then? This is the original release of Come To Me Softly. You've got to believe me when I say It's been covered by a fair amount of other artists as well, hasn't it? That's right. Yes, indeed. Yes. So excellent. And you and were that, o- sorry, carry on. And that was a, I literally fell into showbiz, man. That was that was it. Yeah. Brilliant. And you were only sixteen at the time, I think. That's right. And I was actually working at the um, Inland Revenue offices then. Oh right. Um, right. Dad had died, and I had to be the provider for the family. So oh dear. And um, there you go. You know. Yeah. But yeah. Worked out well. It worked yeah, out well. well, that's right. I mean, it wasn't long before um, uh, you ended up coming across to England, didn't you? Because you no, were that popular in Jamaica. That's right. Well, what happened? The band, the Vagabonds, were, were actually a dance band at the time. We're like a fourteen or fifteen piece dance band. We used to do like Stranger on the Shore and Moon River I see. and all yeah. that sort of thing, you know. And um, but when we got here, what happened was that we cut the band down and. Um, Went for an audition at the Marquee Club. Mm-hmm. Marquee. Yeah, in London, yeah. Yeah, and the manager called Harold Pendleton said, we got to have you here. But he says, we can't have you headlining. Because, just going back a bit, before we left Jamaica, in fact, um, when we left, you see, we grew up with all the American stuff. Don't yeah. Like? We had all the impressions and all Sammy Davis Jr., Drifters and all that coming down to the island. And that was where we literally cut our teeth on. Yeah. Because, uh, which then became reggae, wasn't even starting then when we left Jamaica. Just the beginning of ska. Right. I'm, I don't really know much about that genre of the music. No, so no. We're doing our soul thing, you know, impressions mm-hmm. and Lou Johnson and all this sort of thing. Anyway, we got this audition and um, 
Harold Pendleton, there was a band called The High Numbers. Who oh, that was The Who, yeah. There. And he said, I tell you what, we will have you supporting them on a Tuesday night. So I said, fine, you know, great. Went in, had a great night, had two great nights, two great nights. And one day he said, you know something, you're getting too popular, you got to do Wednesdays on your own, headline. Wow. Fine, great. And the whole thing took off from there. It just blossomed, you know. We got this gig done in a club called The Birdcage in Portsmouth. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, that was really where it, it just kicked off because I don't know who saw it or what, but the papers were all over the place the following day. And um, Pyrocus then became interested and we went in and we did an album called The New Religion. Yeah. And that was it, brother. So we've been very, very fortunate, you know? Great track, because um, you did also record for um, Columbia before that, didn't you? You had a, a single out on Columbia. That's right, that's right. And, and, uh, and then went across to Piccadilly. That's right. Well, Piccadilly was like a subsidiary of um, the Pie mm-hmm. thing, because they had a few sort of like smaller labels then, you know, and yeah. they to sh- like, and the thing, another one was called Marble Arch or something. Ah, right, yes, I, I, I see. Yeah, so they were like putting stuff out on those as well, you know? Great. But, uh, what can I say? I've been blessed. <laughs> on the contrary, it's we that've been blessed with music like this. Here's your cover of the artistics, This Heart of Mine. Well, I mean, through the 60s, you played some real iconic venues, didn't you? You mentioned the Marquee in Wardour Street, um, but uh, you were also playing uh, alongside Rod Stewart with Steam Packet, weren't you? And right. um, Jimi Hendrix. You played, in fact, you came to Nottingham in uh, 66 for the Beachcomber Ballroom. That's right. I was sat in it to play with Jimi Hendrix. Yeah. And um, Nice guy, apparently. He's very, very nice. Oh, lovely man, lovely man. I mean, like, the Jimi Hendrix that people saw... I don't know how, well, I suppose people who know his history will really know that he was a fantastic jazz guitarist. Right. But he really was. If you heard that man play jazz and his scales, you wouldn't believe that. He was the guy doing all the freaky stuff on stage, completely the other side of the coin. But like he said, to make money, he had to do what he had to do. Yeah, of course. And of that course. was it. You know, come on now, you know what a guitarist, man, yeah. Absolutely. And, I mean, your performances were usually to sell out crowds in the UK, and um, and that prompted tours to, well, all over Europe, Tunisia, Germany. That, that's right, Tunisia. Well, we, we even toured all the American bases in Germany as well at the time. Right. We to Germany an awful lot. We went to Belgium, France. You know, we, you know we, we, we're nomads. <laughs> <laughs> Back in this time, so it was, was when um, we and got the... The Iron Curtain was uh, firmly in place. Aren't you the first Western band to have played behind the Iron Curtain? That's correct. That's correct. Wow. Yes, we the, the Hungary. We went to Hungary. I mean, what was that like? The culture uh, between uh, living in the West and living in the East? Because we, we get given um, a, a media, sort of, not propaganda, I suppose, but um, an impression of what life's like in other countries. Well, Especially- I'll tell you, at that time, it was really noticeable, the difference, because I remember... The image that um, stays with me is we were driving to a gig. Mm-hmm. I saw this guy in a field with what you call an hedge, you know, the, the tool, the hedge, and he was digging away. It's like an axe. Oh, right, digging, yeah. digging away at a tree trunk, massive tree trunk. Uh-huh. I said to the driver, what's he doing? He said, he's making a bathtub. Wow. What? He said, yeah. That that image will live with me till the day. I couldn't believe it. 
Goodness but me. Again, and this, 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 there were two societies there. There was the wealthy, and I mean, like, they have not. Mm. There were no twins. The wealthy were like your opera stars and all that, man. I mean, like, you, when they sort of took us to there for dinner and all that, I mean, it was all there. And I remember we went to a cafe once to have a meal, and there was this guy, and he came and he sat down with us, and he was begging on his knees, says, please. When we get back, could we just write a letter to the government and invite him over as a guest mm. to England? Wanted to get the hell out of there, but you know, but that was it. You know, there was just two strata society. Wow. There was no middle class there then. Man. There was just a poor and the rich. Yeah, and that was you know. Oh dear. And the venues were actually opera houses. Oh, sorry. Where you hardly needed any amplification at all. When you sit on the stage and talk, it, it just rev yeah, it reverberated around the yeah. whole. But the, the reaction, oh, good Lord, because it was so new to them that it was crazy. It was Fantastic. Crazy. We used to go home and say, is this really happening for us? Uh, <laughs> Who couldn't believe it? Brilliant. Well, there's no wonder you were well-received if you were treating them to tracks like this. This is Help Yourself. <laughs> there's Jimmy James and the Vagabonds with I Feel Alright from 1966. Um, back home, as I say, you, you signed for Pie Records, and um, you were—I mean, you were supporting the Who, Sonny and Cher, the Rolling Stones, um, and recording in Abbey Road Studios. How cool is that? Um, that was just that again. You know, sometimes certain things happen here, and it takes a while before it even sink sink in. You know, um, I can't remember the album we did there, but that was. Another again, another experience. Then everybody was in Abbey Road, and mm. you know, as as a budget budging um, musician, you yeah. thought, oh, if only, if only, if only, and it happened for us. So that was just absolutely wonderful, man. Brilliant. Now on the same on the same label, you were uh, you were on with Gino Washington and the Ram Jam Band. Um, right, Gino did. Um, how did Gino, that go? Because was there a friendly rivalry between oh, the two God. bands? Yeah. But in the business, people thought that we were like arch enemies, you know. Uh. But we, <laughs> anyway, but we were bosom buddies, man, you know, bosom, bosom buddies, yeah. Absolutely. Because at the time, we had two live albums out. Gina yeah. had um, Foot Stomping. Foot Stomping, yeah. And we had Live at the Marquee with the Alan Bound set on the B side. Oh, yeah. You know? Yeah. So um, at the time, it was vying for prime position, you know, and like I would say things about Gina. Gina would say things <laughs> about me. <laughs> Something else, you know. You know, he had this funny laugh. He's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. "We got him again, Jimmy. We got him again." <laughs> so, yeah. Lovely. Now, y your career took another level when uh, you released a cover of Neil Diamond's "Red Red Wine." That's right. That was nineteen sixty-eight, sixty-nine, I think. Um, yeah. What happened? How that came about? We were actually in the studio recording the second album, which was "This Is Jimmy James," I think it was called. I can't mm -hmm. quite. And. Um, there's a guy called James Hamilton there who was a writer for what was then a rec the Record Mirror, which is a weekly newspaper. Yes, I remember it, yeah. Right. And we're doing all these songs, and we did Red Red One, and he, he just stood up and says, that, he said to John Schroeder, who was a producer, he says, John, that is a single. And we said, don't be crazy. Be <laughs> because at the time, Beatles and Yes and all that were just coming through that type of music. Mm. So it'll never sell. And James Hamilton insisted, and he begged him, says, please put it out. And it became a massive hit for us. Great. Let's have a listen. Um, a year later, though, the Vagabonds disbanded. What, how did that happen? Well, 
it was just in a conflict really you know like everything else after a while people thought that um there was a compare that we had and they thought well half of the band thought well they were better off going with him right rather than going with me so we had a you can say it was in a way it was sort of amicable really yeah yeah but but unamicable at the same yeah, time yeah I mean. I can so see that, i said oh, you go your way i'll go mine and i just went out got a band and in four days i was on the road with another band so that was it but they couldn't use the name um vagabonds because um that i had registered the name you see yeah. the name my property but they couldn't use it so um it didn't really work for them i think that no. was that was it you know but like but i said conversely you set, uh, changed labels and went yeah. on to even greater success mm-hmm, mm-hmm. so tell me about um bidu well i was living in a place called redford in nottinghamshire at the time and the phone ah, rang that's about said, 20 miles north of me that's right okay yeah that's right and this boy said you don't know me my name is bidu i've written a song he says have you got a record label i said no he says you got a deal no so how about coming to london and doing this song i said okay fine i went down the song we did was a song called a man like me yeah great track a northern soul standard as mm. you know it's played and played and played uh, a lot of people have got many fond memory of this tune And um, it well, it wasn't a chart. It didn't chart as research. It wasn't a chart success. But the, on the club scene, it was yeah. Massive. It was a big underground record, and still is. Still a guaranteed floor filler. That's right, wasn't it? Just mm. and nothing happened. So a few years passed by, and I think late '75, '76, he called again and says, "You still on time?" I said, "Yes." You come to London. We got another song. We went, and he said, "I tell you what, we'll do. We'll do it an album." I said, "Okay, fine." Went down and we did I'll Go The Music Takes Me, Now's The Time and a couple more. And um, the next thing I knew, I was coming home from a gig and I heard I'll Go The Music Takes Me being played on Radio 2. Wow. What happened was, um, oh gosh, the DJ's name at the time, Popular Man. Oh, good Lord, Jimmy, how can I forget it? <laughs> anyway, um, Jimmy Young. All right, yes, I remember. He had heard this and he loved it. And he was playing it like three times a day on his program. The thing is, we were signed to Pi at the time. Yeah. Brotherhood of Man had only just had Save Your Kisses from yes, the Eurovision Song Contest. So at that time, you had what you call the pressing plants, and they made acetates, as you know. Yeah. And they went into full production on that. Forgot about Algorithmic It Takes Me, which would have been a number one had it not been sort of like. It still charted top 40, didn't it? Yes, oh, yes. Yeah. It went to number it yeah. went to fifth charts, you know, with much much work behind it. But um, and then when the success came from that, um, they said, well, what can we do? We need a follow up record, and we thought, well, we haven't got one. <laughs> so what Bidu did was he took the album into Pi and played it to all the girls, the secretaries, and they listened and they said, now is the time. Mm-hmm. So we went back into into town I re- re-edited it because now is the time it's like, it was like what you call a protest song at the time when people let all this peace yeah. movement and all this yeah. thing going and uh, if you listen to the whole thing you'll, you'll understand what I'm saying and then so we just edited it down to the 45 version and here it is now, now is the time 
And that incidentally became a bigger hit than mm. Al It Takes Me because that went to number five in the charts. But if you say Jimmy James said, go, oh yeah, I'll go the music takes me. Mm. <laughs> and now it's time going, you know. So that's, yeah, that's how that happened for us again, man. Brilliant. That must have been a really exciting time in the 70s then because you were really riding the crest of success, weren't you? Oh my goodness, yes. But but we had a little bit of difficulty actually because the people who um, were like the hardcore Northern Soul fans, mm-hmm in a way deserted us because they thought we'd sold out well yeah i suppose so <laughs> dear you know you can't win can you the northern soul crowd boy what is theirs is theirs you know yeah. what I mean? as soon as you become popular across the masses they drop you like a hot break that's right that's oh dear. right oh dear so awesome for a little while but thankfully we regained them as the years went by you know yeah absolutely so, Another track popular on the crossover soul scene, and my personal favourite, this, is a beautiful tune called Hey Girl, Love This. Um, you, were, you moved with the time slightly in 84 with uh, a track called Love Fire. Yes, well that was an, uh, an American guy called, I can't remember his name now. Um, he came and he heard of me and wanted me to do this love fire thing and he flew me out to um, Los Angeles actually to do that right. I did that back but that again if it was a worldwide hit I wouldn't know I'd never heard anything from him or of it oh. <laughs> that was it. Oh, right oh dear so it was one of those you know one of those man. yeah so going on through the 80s and 90s you were um, you were voted best singer by the uh, Club Mirror Awards Yes, indeed, fortunately, yeah, because, again, we were, because, as you know, in those days, Clubland was club, and you, you, we had the Baylor's nightclub circuit, where you had seven yeah. nights, cabaret, you had so many clubs, all the minors clubs, and I was so busy, and um, thankfully, they, they, the Club Mirror came out with this award, and we, we got it, so, one year, and, um, yeah, it's just sheer hard work. Sheer hard work, but enjoyable hard work. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. And I mean, it's not it's not just the Bailey circuit that uh, that kept you going. I mean, you were also playing at the Cannes Film Festival. Uh, That's right. Entertaining yeah. British troops during the Falklands and the Bosnian Wars. Oh my goodness me! <laughs> um, another first that I sort of uh, overlooked. Another first that you were uh, you can pin on your chest is that you were the first artist to sing live on top of the pops. Oh, yeah. I mean, was that your idea? Homework, boy, I'm telling you, yes, you're right. Was that your idea? Because before then, artists would go on and lip-sync, wouldn't they? That's I mean, right. they'd be playing electric guitars without any leads in and things like that. It was such a sham. Exactly. And I went on there and they said, well, can you lip-sync? I said, no, because my thing, I said to them, I never sing the song the same way twice. I right. never do. And I can't lip-sync, so if I can't do it live, I don't know what's going to happen. And they just said, well, we go live. Jimmy James and the Bugger was the first band ever to sing live. Wow. I bet the studio engineers were having kittens. <laughs> they, were, they were, because they're so used to having the orchestra. Well, you know, they know how to sort of like um, have the orchestra all set up, but they never had anybody sing live, you know. So, again, it threw a few spanner in the works, as they say, but, you know, we, we did it. We Excellent. Did it. Quite right, too. So, tell me about meeting Ian Levine in 2007. Well, Ian, I'd known Ian for years because we used to go to Blackpool a lot as well, and oh, Ian was yeah. in that Blackpool at the time. Yeah. 
we met him just uh, he was just literally just a record collector then mm-hmm. collection back in the days like, of the highland room in the mecca at the mecca all right you know mm. <laughs> or, yeah i met him and um he was doing these these um not on soul things and yeah. he was writing the songs and he said come down and do a couple and i went down and did a few of them as they're out there but um to be honest with you, I don't even know what's happened to them either. Or what's happened. I knew he wasn't very well the other day, so I don't know what's... Oh, he, he had a stroke, didn't he, about 18 months ago, and it's left him pretty much in a wheelchair. Thankfully, he's got oh. his, his voice back. Oh, my But he's, he's not ever so well. Oh, I saw him at, um, at Blackpool in September. I must try and get in touch with him. I, I was not aware of all that. Yeah, yeah, bless him. He's like, you know, he was not a... He himself an arm, Russ. Win Stanley. Russ. They were the Northern Soul Gods at the time. You know, mm. it's quite a competition between both of them, wasn't it? You know, but, <laughs> yeah, um, between Wigan and Blackpool. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, that's sad. That's sad news. Yeah, man. yeah. Indeed. Drop him a line, catch up. I'm sure he'll be pleased to um, uh, to hear yeah. from you. Oh yes, I will. Yes, I'll make that endeavour to do that. Yeah, sure. Lovely. Um, now, I mean, 2010, you got another honour, didn't you? Jamaican music industry. Yes. They honoured me as a, what they call a pioneer. Yeah, and, quite uh, right. Yeah, because I, I thought they'd forgotten about me, and then I got this call saying, well, you're being honoured, so you got to get down here, get yourself down here, and I went down. It was great. It was really... Yeah, it, it didn't... I, I didn't cry, but I was close to tears, because, yeah. you know, somebody honour you like that, you think, my goodness, you know. Of course. And I keep... What have I done to deserve this? Because I just see myself as... The thing is, I enjoy being on stage because that's I enjoy the fun of it. Mm-hmm. Really do enjoy the fun of it. It's not like work for me because you guys make it so easy for me. Really. Absolutely, I'm just the same about radio presenting. It's not work. Yeah, that's right. And I just have fun. And every time I we're going on stage, I always say to the band, "Listen, it's live. You make a mistake, you make a mistake. Let them know it's live. Just let's get on and have fun, man. Yeah, enjoy that's it. it. Do it with confidence. They'll never know the difference. That's right, and that's what we do. Brilliant. Yeah. So yeah, I've been, like I said, I've, I keep saying it. I've been so blessed. That's so I've been so very lucky indeed. I have yes. Lovely. So um, your latest recording, I think, is a CD called From the Heart. Yes. Yes. Lovely. Where can people buy that? Well, it's not on sale at the moment. Actually, it's, you know, I'm thinking of getting it out there, but uh, it's not. It's not on sale at the moment. I have to re. Re. I've got. I needed to go back and this. It. I wanted to do some more. Um, editing on it but um okay so hopefully it'll get released this year it could be it could well be (laughs) fingers crossed fingers crossed talking about releases do you have any unreleased stuff from back in the 60s and 70s no no everything that was done in 60s and 70s was done for like other for record companies Mm -hmm. like you know like bidu and um Where are you gigging? Because you do continue to tour, don't you? I mean, uh, we started the interview by uh, discussing Blackpool back in January. Uh, Blackpool, Skegness back in January. Um, but you're still running uh, a tour schedule. Where, where are you next appearing over the next few months, please? Well, th- at the moment, I'm like, I wouldn't say I'm touring as such. I'm, I'm doing a lot of cruises at the moment. But we've still got, like, the Haven Holiday Parks and the Butlin things that yeah. we do. And, um warners and all that because those are the only sort of live venues that are left now okay yeah and sorry i've just been reminded here um talking about unreleased stuff i i told benny king all right i thought of them was it 
couple of years ago. And it was so successful we were going to do it the following year. And he passed. He went back yeah. to his I remember, bless him, yeah. And Former I, drifter. Yes, that's right. I did, what I did was I went in the studio and I actually did like a, a tribute album to him, actually. So, so I'm working on that, you know. Oh, so lovely. That next one, yeah. Yeah, I'll keep my eye out for that. That'll be nice. That'll be nice. Uh, lovely right well uh wish you all the very best success uh, with your forthcoming releases <laughs> wait them with bated breath and um thank you very much for giving me the interview yeah thank you very much Aidy. well thank you so much for taking the time man. oh no thank you thank you it's Don't been lovely indeed. okay i'm gonna play out now with a track you recorded for ian levine this is on the other foot Lincolnshire Radio 